0: Well, folks, here we are for this week's episode of The Boundless Show. This is Lisa Anderson with you as usual and almost always. So anyway, um, as I often like to do, here is a little bit of what's coming up later. For our inbox, we have a listener who recently broke up with her boyfriend but now realizes that she had a lot of undealt with fears about marriage while they were dating and a lot of baggage. So she's trying to figure out should she reconnect with this guy. Well, one of our counselors is going to weigh in. And then for our culture segment, our friend Dr. Carl Benzio, he's a psychiatrist, is back with us discussing the importance of mental health in dating relationships and what to do if your significant other is struggling mentally. So you don't want to miss that. Well, here we are for our round table, and we're uh, we're going to have a conversation here about uh, also juxtaposing two things like what does it look like to encourage people and to be that person who's a good listener, a good friend, uh, the person that really wants to help someone process things but also on the flip side of that, when does it become enabling behavior? And so, um, you know, a lot of people toss around enablement uh, a lot lately. So we're going to break uh, this down. We have got Georgia, Linda, and John here. Hey, y'all. Hey, hey Lisa. Hey, Good there. to have you. Okay, so um, we <laughs> we were laughing before we started taping about, I think we're going to just figure out like, whoa, okay, wait, am I an enabler and I'm an Am I an encourager? Blah, blah, blah. And then um, Linda also has to put her professional hat on because she's also a licensed professional counselor. So um, she'll help, but we'll all fight for our own opinions and then she'll have to levy the hammer of what the, you know, what's right. Okay. From a professional perspective. So, okay. So the first, um, the first thing is, you know, so we realize that, you know, encouragement is a good thing. And so I kind of want to lay the groundwork here. Um, And obviously, The flip side of that, you know, maybe needing to confront someone or even rebuke someone is also a good thing. You never want to do things... Wrongly or with the wrong motives, or you know, hey, my spiritual gift is confronting, and I just like to like slam people. Yikes. So <laughs> the motive definitely, uh, motive definitely plays into it. So saying that, would you consider you're kind of more the soft sided person, or have you been known to speak up and be the person who's going to say truth and sometimes unvarnished?
1: I've been told by a few different people that I have the spiritual gift of encouragement. Okay. And I enjoy listening to people, hearing their stories and getting to know them and just sitting there listening and trying to, my dad calls it parroting, where Mm -hmm. I'll actually, they'll say something and then I'll try to repeat back a statement that they said. Mm -hmm. Um, I enjoy that a lot. I will be honest, I hate confronting people. Mm -hmm. It is not one of my strong suits. It's an area I'm still trying to develop in and get better at, but I don't like being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. in Personal conversations, but sometimes confrontation does require that. So that's an area I'm trying to grow in.
2: Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely an encourager that that has gone way back to my college years. Um, I remember writing a letter every day to someone, at least one. Wow! And I've continued that, maybe not as often, but it's it's definitely I'm. Um, In spoken word, in written word, in texting, all the different areas, I love to encourage others. And I've realized the confronting part is also a way of encouragement. It doesn't sound that way, but if you really love someone and care about them, you are going to confront them. Mm -hmm. And that's something that takes, man, it takes a lot of courage in my mind to do. And it's hard. Yeah. And you always have that fear. Yeah. But... And I do want to
0: say, in case I forget to say this later, I'll just put it here, because I'm not a person that likes confrontation either. Even though if someone asks me my opinion, uh, you better believe you're going to get it, because I have an opinion on everything. (laughs) So I'm very willing to share that, but I'm not someone that's like, let me just like dive into this relatively calm waters and just, you know, shake it up. Um, That said, I have noticed that almost every time where I have felt called to address something and it seemed super hard and I got all angsty and didn't sleep and whatever i then did it and it ended up being super chill and mostly well received and i just saw god work in it so i think like we way overplay this in our own heads i mean Mm -hmm. it's like if we're meant to do it and god's calling us to do it he's going to honor that so Mm -hmm. all right georgia
3: Yeah. um, I'm definitely not into confrontation. And honestly, I would be shocked if someone came on here and was just like, I love confrontation. I'm like, (laughs) okay, are you okay? Why are you saying this? Um, But I will say, I think it's actually hard for me to encourage others sometimes because I don't, I don't always know how best to encourage people. And then sometimes I think I get in my head and I think, uh, do they think I'm weird because I'm encouraging them or do they think I'm some like freak who's like wow way to go you did a great job on this project so I don't know I feel kind of bad but I'm not always the best at encouraging though I really would love to and I enjoy encouraging people and um lifting them up sometimes I feel like I get into my head too much and I overthink it
0: yeah Okay, well, like we were saying, you know, no one probably, unless they are moderately unhealthy, would come in here and be like, the one thing I love doing is super confronting people and getting up in their business and yeah. whatever. Yes. Well, that said, I also don't think anyone would come in here and say, the one thing I'm really good at is enabling people. And that's what I want to grow in as well. So that on the table is... Why is it that we so often find ourselves in these pseudo enablements or we kind of, you know, run a little too soft or we're the person who's very vague or unclear in things in in conversations or relationships with people where it might be something where someone's going down a wrong path or maybe has some wrong thinking or whatever. And we're just kind of bystanders like, okay, I'm not really going to go there. Why? Why do you guys think that shows up?
1: think it's a fear of what others think about us. Mm -hmm. I know that there have been a number of different times where maybe a person that I was friends with was lamenting about something that they wanted to change in their lives. Like, say, for example, I have a number of guy friends who are single who want to be married someday. Mm -hmm. And there have been times where I've had conversations with them and they were just lamenting the fact that they were single. And maybe I actually could see a blind spot in their lives. And I didn't actually bring it up and say, hey, maybe you might want to consider dealing with this to so you can be a more attractive person. Mm-hmm. And if I were honest, it was over the fact that, oh, man, I'm actually kind of enjoying this conversation and I don't want it to all of a sudden get tense. Mm-hmm. That's happened mm-hmm. to me a few different times. Mm-hmm. And it really stemmed back to the fact that maybe I was obsessed with just keeping it comfortable and not getting up in their business for the sake of, well, I still want to be friends. Mm-hmm. But the best thing would have been to have just said, hey, let's talk about this and let's just get it out on the table, even if it makes you uncomfortable. hmm. Good mm-hmm.
3: point. I think when we find ourselves in enabling quotation marks, I you can't see it, listeners, but they're there. Um, enabling situations, I think it often is because there's that. I don't want to feel the uncomfort in this moment. I think I've seen that with um, friends and family that have struggled with substance abuse. Like, it's just difficult to want to call those things out. Um, Especially when it comes up so often, you're, you feel like you don't want to circle back to the same thing over and over again. But then you have to remind yourself, like, am I helping them continue in something that's destructive? Or am I going to help them get to a better place um, Mm. with substance abuse and that kind of thing. So I think it's just a kind of a a difficult line where you're like, man, I feel like we're always talking about this one thing. But then at the end of the day, I'm like, if that one thing leads to hopefully their restoration, then we should be talking about it every time, even if it's really uncomfortable. And even if our conversations aren't always the most fun when we come to the end of it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Linda, what would you say, like, in your counseling experience, what are some ways that um, people really do struggle in this area? Like, how do you, I mean, I would imagine you see it a lot in family dynamics. Um, I mean, I think even as Georgia was talking, one thing I would be fearful of is someone turning around to me and saying, well, let me give you my list of things that you need to work on. And quite frankly, you know, and it becomes this, like, sparring kind Mm -hmm. of situation. But how do you see this? play out in a way that's unhealthy and how can it be done differently in a way that would be healthier in relationships?
2: Yeah. Enabling is I think really subtle. It's, it's, you know, the definition is basically doing something for someone else that they can do for themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. And in, in things like Georgia, you were talking about addictions and things like that. It, it kind of creeps up on you. You may not even know someone has an addiction and yet they're saying, I just can't make ends meet this month. Can you help me out? Mm -hmm. Um, It may be with an alcoholic who, you know, they just keep asking for things. And, and I think why most people do enable is because we like to come to the rescue, we like to help people, and so our motives are actually quite good at the beginning. It's just we don't always see the domino effect of the negativity that can happen and so and by the time we do, then we're like, "Oh dear, now now I feel shame, you mm-hmm. know, and it's not only about me, but it's about you, but I thought I was helping you, and now I'm not. and what do I do now?" and it's that whole kind of cycle mm-hmm. and how to get out of that mm-hmm. Um, when you're walking with people. Yeah. Well, it's so
0: interesting because I think, you know, all of us have either used or have heard these phrases, you know, where we will second guess ourselves or talk ourselves out of saying something that needs to be said because we'll say, well, I just haven't earned the right to speak into the situation. Or maybe, you know, someone else will address it. It's okay as long as I let it go. You know, someone's going to step in, or it's not my gift, you know, to be <laughs> this person and to be the person that says hard things like, like hello, who has that gift? Give me mm-hmm. the gift receipt, y'all. I don't want it. <laughs> um, but anyway, you know, it's it's easy for us to kind of uh, to say that and to sit in that in a way. But what would you say? I mean, the benefits. What? How have you personally benefited from someone having a conversation with you that was pretty honest about something, and maybe where them choosing not to say something would have kept you in an unhealthy pattern.
1: I think this is one of the ways that, you know, you have to deal with something is if multiple people tell you, (laughs) and I had that happen pretty early in my career, actually working here, where there would be times I'd be talking about a project that I was working on, and and my personality is the type, if I'm 99.99% sure about something, but I'm not 100%, I'm going to focus on that zero, zero point (laughs) zero one percent that I'm not sure about. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you just flat out, hey, I'm not 100 percent sure about this, but I'll give you my thoughts. I had a few different people tell me, hey, when you do that, it seems innocent. And I realize that you're trying to be honest. But for the sake of our team here at work, you need to work on projecting some confidence a little more, Mm -hmm. because when you project confidence, even though you may not feel it 100 percent, It actually gives the team confidence that you know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I benefited from that greatly because it was an area that I didn't know was an issue and was impacting my work. Mm -hmm. But as I've learned to be more sure in the way that I say things, Mm -hmm. um, even if I didn't feel 100 percent sure about it all the time, which I almost never do, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it actually helped uh, benefit my coworkers more by projecting confidence, even when I didn't feel it.
2: Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. great. I think one of the crazy things for me about this is a lot of times it's an area that seems really good. And it's something I already know. And yet when someone else gives a voice to it in my life, it almost gives me the permission to do it myself. Mm -hmm. And and this will sound crazy, but I tend to be a workaholic. I like to have a lot of fun. (laughs) And people would think that, but I don't always do it. And so when people say, you need to take care of yourself better, you know, and that's what I t- teach everyone else, right? Mm-hmm. Take care of yourself and um do self-care. and But I don't always give myself permission because of all the other things mm-hmm. in life. And I know that sounds crazy, but when people speak into my life in that regard, I... Here's the thing where it's not enabling, it's actually encouraging, is when they say, hey, we'll go do something with you, you know, whether that's a concert or going hitting some golf balls or, you know, playing, I, I'm a drummer, so playing music or things like that. Those are things that I love to do and I always put aside. And it really does hurt me in the long run mm-hmm. not to just enjoy life sometimes, always to be so focused. So I think sometimes you can kind of combine the two sometimes and that becomes helpful. mm
0: mm-hmm. hmm.
3: Yeah, so one of my personality traits back in the day was that I was consistently late to everything. Um, and it's kind of funny looking back on it now because I feel like in every group of friends, there's always that person who you can count on them to be 30 to an hour late. And I was that girl. <laughs> if they're dead,
0: what in the world? 30 yeah. minutes to an hour? Okay, yeah, go So on. I was
3: that girl. Okay. I was that girl in my friend group. And for a while, it was this funny thing where everybody was like, oh, Georgia's going to be late. Like, we, Georgia's mm-hmm. constantly mm-hmm. late. We love that. And then one day, a friend was like, you know what? It's actually kind of irritating when you're late. Mm. And we love you, but you make plans hard because we don't know when you're going to show up. And I was like, wow, ouch. Mm. You got me. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of those things where, like, that's a kind of funny one. It's kind of simple. But in every friend group, I think there's, like, certain things where we enable our friends to do things because it's their personality trait. And it's kind of funny and wacky to be, like, 25 minutes late to every event. But then for this friend to be like, you know, it is kind of funny, but there are times where it's kind of irritating and it's kind of like, do you respect our time? And I was like, ooh, do I respect your time? Because if I show up late every time because I'm on my own timetable, that means I'm not giving any kind of credit to what you guys put into the whole planning process. So I think that's important to just kind of keep in mind. It's like, you can have these quirky things that are kind of fun, little personality traits, but it's like, at the end of the day, do I want to be known as the girl who's always late? Mm -hmm. Because that's not a fun thing to always be known as. And so that Mm -hmm. was something that I tried really hard when I moved here to Colorado. I didn't want the first thing that everybody... Meeting me as the new girl thought of was like, oh, she's late to everything. Yeah. So I've tried really hard to not have that be a thing that I do anymore. Because when I was in college, that was, that was kind of my fun quirky little treat that wasn't so quirky in the end
0: well and that's such a great example because it's something that had your friends let persist yeah you would just alienate more people you would have people who would not invite you to things because they're Mm -hmm. like we don't even want to deal with her Mm -hmm. I mean and deal with that drama and so it's like wow I mean that awareness now really helped move the needle on that so now I show up 10 minutes early Okay. or five minutes late
3: okay you guys so try my late. try my best
1: <laughs> okay george's credit the first time i ever invited her on a round table she was the first one there and it happened <laughs> to be a snow day oh, okay <laughs> That's see that's pretty good that's yep. pretty awesome.
0: awesome yeah i had one that was kind of a both and um and it's kind of funny because it ended up being yeah it was like a reciprocal uh teaching moment. I am the friend in my friend's group, shocker, because I host a podcast, who is often looked to to carry conversations or be the person when everyone's awkward, Lisa has to step in and come up with some conversational topic or whatever. And so I do that. But then I have a friend who is super introverted and very like just black and white when it comes to what interests her and what doesn't. So she would like decide she would lean on me to be this person because she didn't want to be it. So then I would start these conversations and I'd be asking people all these questions. Well, she would just decide like, okay, now I'm done. And she would just like cut it off or like walk away from the conversation. (laughs) And so I was like, for me, the learning was, okay, Lisa, sometimes you can go on and on too much and you can ask too many questions or carry the conversation or tell stories or whatever. But then I had the chance to kind of share with her after the fact that like, OK, when you are doing that, give me a signal or when I'm doing that, give me a signal. Don't just like walk away from the conversation. That's just like <laughs> rude. I mean, or don't just shut me down or something like that. So we both ended up benefiting from it. It was a two for one. So mm-hmm. that great. ended up uh ended up being a good thing. So, OK, so that said, in our last couple of minutes here, I'm going to put out a scenario because I think for a lot of us... um, we think of it in terms of relating to other people, whether in our age and stage, and specifically for those who are single out there, mm-hmm. that person that comes up to you and says, what? everyone's <laughs> going to have to practice this. Here we go. We're going to see how you do it. They're like, well, I just don't understand like, why I'm still single and why no one wants to date me and why like, all my friends are going out with great people, but I'm just kind of like here... What would be your thought process in addressing this person? Like say that this person maybe has a couple of things that they could work on, or maybe they're a little unaware of a few things and you want to help them out, but you also want to encourage, what would that conversation look like for you?
3: So I think the example that I use is that my sister did that to me and, um, she is really good at confronting so she is one of those people we love to see it way to go queen and I remember telling her after you know I had some you know failings with some guys I was like I just don't get it like I feel like I'm perfect I feel like I'm a 10 out of 10 and I don't understand (laughs) and And she's
0: like well let's start there and she's like well let's
3: start at the perfect idea that's not true and um, she was telling you know she asked me questions instead of being like you're this and this and this and that's why you're single Um, instead of just kind of pointing the, mm. the finger, she just asked me questions about, okay, well, so why why do you think it didn't work out? Okay, well, I can answer this question, this question. Um and a lot of times, I mean, just in my personal experience, it came out to be that I wasn't willing to be vulnerable with people. And that's kind of a part of being in a relationship. You kind of have to share about yourself. Mm. Crazy. And so um, I think asking questions is the best way to do it rather than being like, well, I've noticed that you're way too picky and sometimes you're annoying. Like,
0: yeah. And pulling I, out a type yeah, list of yeah, things Yeah. You're you like, need well, I'm change. glad you
3: asked yeah. because I've been keeping tabs yeah. <laughs> on every failed relationship. Let's tell you why. Um, ask questions so that they can answer about it themselves and mm-hmm. say, you know, that's a good point. I didn't think of it that way. And um, I think that's just a nicer way of, of encouraging that person rather than pointing the finger. And then it also allows them to continue to work through it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think it's always easier when you yourself can work through the reasons why rather than someone just giving you a list, um, Mm -hmm. because then it feels more like, oh, man, I'm being attacked rather Mm -hmm. than me working through reasons why I may be single. So I think asking questions, asking them, you know, why do you think you're single? What about that last relationship didn't work out? What about it did work Um, instead of just pointing a finger?
2: Yeah, making them part of the solution. Yeah, that's good. I think that's point on what your sister did, because the word that comes to my mind is curiosity. Mm -hmm. It's much better to, in a conversation, be curious about what is going on for them. Because we oftentimes jump to conclusions, and oftentimes our nature is to be judgmental, Mm -hmm. which doesn't help the situation at all. So if we can be curious about the questions we're asking and not assume an answer, we can actually really learn a lot about Mm -hmm. our friend or the people we're involved with and then also help in the long run. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I love that.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I think some of it definitely has to do with the degree that you have built trust with another person. Mm -hmm. Um, This actually happened to me where a person did confront me on this issue back in college. I had a roommate who I had built up a lot of trust with and I think we were already in our well into our first semester of rooming together and we had been friends year years before that and um, he and I were just asking each other politely one day, are there areas in my life you think I need to grow in? Yeah. And I asked him that question. And he straight up told me, I think you're obsessed with getting married right now.
0: Huh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> straight
1: up told me that. And when um, I went back later that evening and looked at my Spotify playlist and all the music I had been <laughs> listening to, I very quickly realized he's probably kind of right because my music selection is indicating this right now. Uh, And your ringtone was the wedding march?
3: I don't think it was the wedding march.
1: (laughs) But um, that really didn't feel good for a moment, but I looked Mm. back on it and I'm was able to take a step back and realized, Hey, he loved me enough to tell me the truth, even though it hurt for a little while. Mm -hmm. And uh, that actually kind of started me on a journey of just learning to be content as a single person and starting to recognize the benefits of it. And years later, I can say in that situation, that was appropriate because Mm -hmm. he had built up that level of trust to be able to say something that direct. I don't think very many people could have done it at the time, but he did.
0: Well, and that brings up such a great point, John, because it shows that, all the information that you glean, not all of it's going to be correct, Mm -hmm. but everything, information is neutral. You're gathering information and that's his perception. And yeah, maybe in that instance, you were like, hey, there's maybe a little grain of truth there. It doesn't mean that you're like a complete nut and you need to stop thinking about like marriage ever, but it's just good information to have to be like, hey, I can take that into account, sift through what's right, what's not right. You know, again, information is neutral. And so that will only benefit us when we can objectively take that and say, thank you for sharing that because now I need to process it see where i'm going with it and go from there so you guys thank you so much thank what an awesome conversation us. around this
4: this world is a thief walking the streets trying to steal my hope steal my dreams dressed up in disguise whispering lies so sweet i don't want to go one more day watching you take all the good Life the good Lord gave I'm taken
0: Well, we are here for this week's culture segment, and we have the privilege of inviting our friend, Dr. Carl Benzio, to be here with us. Hey, Dr. Carl. Hey there, Lisa. How you doing? <laughs> good, good, good to have you. It's always fun when you come here because you live out on the East Coast, and but you are part of our Physicians Resource Council, which lends a lot of insight to many of the things going on at Boundless and Focus on the Family, specifically related to Medical issues, things going on in the culture, legislatively, all kinds of things, and so I don't. How are you off out here like twice a year? Twice a year, yeah. Okay, Mm -hmm. all right. Well, and when he is out here, we always snag him to come in and do a segment with us on Boundless because we value his expertise as a psychiatrist. For those of you that have listened to the show for a while, as well as an author, speaker. Um, and as I learned today, pickleball player. So mm-hmm. maybe that'll be our next segment
5: with you. We'd love to, gonna... <laughs> especially we'll pick, pickleball addiction. We'd like to get people addicted to pickle. <laughs> nice. My last season of evang- uh, ministry is going to be pickleball evangelism, Lisa. Oh,
0: okay. Yep, yep. Well, there you go. I, that's kind of weird, though, because now you're like supporting addiction when you clearly work with addiction in your professional life. So are, are there actually like- Healthy are... addictions? Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, <laughs> exactly. Okay, that's good. Well, we'll talk about that. I don't know. We're going to have to bookmark that. So today, though, we're going to talk about dating and mental health issues, uh, specifically, because I think that this is one of those things where a lot of people, I mean, clearly, especially with folks in our audience like millennials now gen z we're seeing an uptick it seems generationally with mental health concerns higher incidences of suicide um, obviously depression anxiety being big big things that uh, younger adults are are dealing with and so when you bring this into the space where many of them are dating and wanting to get married there are a lot of questions around that and so um The first thing I want you to address though, Dr. Carl, is what is a clear indicator that someone is dealing with a true mental illness or you know with a actual bona fide whether it's depression anxiety beyond you know some people will just say well you know i'm I'm this might be a rough day or a rough week or or whatever what what actually are the distinguishing features of this
5: yeah, so um The overall picture is that Jesus had perfect brain chemistry. Mm -hmm. The rest of us don't. Mm -hmm. So we're all on a healing journey in some form. So we all have psychological defects and issues and baggage, however we want to call it. Um, Trying to look at, okay, based on that, well, what's normal amount of dysfunction and what's beyond that? So usually from a psychiatric standpoint, we're looking at are they having disruptions in their functioning, hmm. so are there some areas of their life that are uh, struggling in? Whether that be relationships, uh, school, education, finances, uh, their home situation, there there needs to be some uh, permeation of that into their life living, hmm. and so disruption of that, either that or that there's some distress, so that they're not just you know every once in a while they feel a little distressed about one particular situation, but um, more often than not they 're feeling some emotional psychological distress, so those are the two main parameters that are key indicators that something 's going on in a in a regular way that 's inside you know who they are they 're having struggle with what that internal space is and figuring out how to express that how to how to navigate their everyday activities using their skills, their abilities, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and using that to plot their journey mm-hmm. you know in this world kind yeah. of thing now looking at anxiety depression you know obviously if there's dangerous behaviors addictions uh self harm causing danger to others mm-hmm. um So those are sort of more immediate kind of things. Then we also look at patterns. Mm -hmm. You know, are there patterns of these either very poor relationships or, boy, they just can't hold a job or they're obviously continually running into financial difficulties or very impulsive in their decision making or they break their arm and then they break their leg and then they break their collarbone, and you know these impulsive behaviors and impulsive decision-making. So some of it is sort of instantaneous, or within the last couple of weeks, there's some significant distress, dysfunction, um, disruption in their functioning. Or eh, it's not that egregious, but boy, over time, they keep on running into similar patterns of struggles. Mm-hmm. And so those are indicators that, yeah, there's something going on that really needs more attention than that person's able to give just by themselves.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that because I would think so many people would say, well, you know, aren't we all like broken? Aren't we all works in progress? So what, am I not supposed to date until I can find someone who's like so healthy that there's not, you know, good luck with that. I'm going to be single the rest of my life, you know? So it is kind of a little bit of a balance to- It's just like, you
5: know, are we going to wait till we find the perfect pastor to, you know, to stop our pastor search kind of thing? Well, there is no perfect pastor. There is no perfect person. So, um, you know, we're all on a healing journey. On the other side, Mm -hmm. we'll be fully healed. But on this side, we're not. So trying to figure out, okay, well, what does that look like for each person? And, you know, each person has their own parameters. And we'll discuss a little bit more as we go on.
0: Yeah. So how, um like if you're already in a dating relationship and you're realizing, I don't know, this is not seeming, you know, we often say here on Boundless that, you know, obviously you're going to hit in any relationship, you're going to hit bumps in the road, you're going to have conflict, you're going to have issues or whatever, but it shouldn't be like a relationship even in the dating stage shouldn't be like a complete project or so exhausting that you don't, you know, you feel like you're climbing uphill 24 seven. So how, I mean, are there... Uh, you alluded to a few kind of red flag type things that someone might encounter. I, I mean, how how can we really start sifting through those? Is there a good way of doing that? And then also, how do we then, um, you know, be honest with ourselves and with the other person if, if one of those creeps up and we have to say, maybe we need to take a pause on this?
5: Yeah, so... um you know, ideally, whenever we engage in a relationship, you know, there's the male in the relationship, that's one entity. There's the female in the relationship, that's the second entity. But now they come together in a relationship, so they form a third entity. Mm-hmm. So hopefully each person is able to take care of their own entity mm-hmm. and then have enough resources left over to then contribute to the third mm-hmm. entity. So two people are trying to juggle three entities. Um, unfortunately, a lot of times Person one doesn't have enough resources to take care of themselves. Person two doesn't have enough resources to take care of themselves. And then they're wondering why the, the mm-hmm. third entity, the relationship, isn't working because nobody's got enough bandwidth to yeah. throw into that one. So um, trying to figure out, you know, what do I have enough to contribute? Am I able to take care of my own self? Have I, am I able to be sort of an independent, functioning, manage my own thought world and my emotional world, be a pretty decent decision maker so that I have enough left over to contribute to this third entity, and hopefully the person you're dating is able to say the same thing. Yeah, I have, you know, can take care of myself pretty well independently, and I can then contribute to, I have enough left over Mm -hmm. to contribute to a third entity and get that ball rolling. For me, I've just always used a a very simple uh, formula that if the other person is helping me become more Christ like, I mm-hmm. stay in the relationship. Mm-hmm. If I'm helping them become more Christ like, I stay in the relationship. Mm-hmm. If they're not helping me become more Christ like or the relationship is hindering me from becoming more Christ like, I end the relationship. And if the relationship isn't helping them become more Christ like, I end the relationship. Mm-hmm. Now we can, you know, assign blame. At another point, but just, I don't know whether it's my fault, their fault, or whatever. I just know that either I'm not becoming more Christ like or they're not. So this relationship isn't going in the right direction. It just needs to stop. Yeah. So those are sort of some basic parameters that I use to try to, you know, start as we put this construct together. Well, how do people interact within this? You know, we're all broken to some extent. Mm -hmm. Well, how do we navigate that brokenness? Mm
0: -hmm. It's so interesting because we all know that person or people probably, it might be us even, um, that needs to be needed. And I think this can often feed an unhealthiness in relationships where a person, especially as I said to you, you know, well, how do you have an honest conversation of you might need to break it off? A lot of people won't because they feel like that will hinder or harm the other person well they're depressed so the worst thing i can do is break up with them because that will make them even worse or it'll send them down into a spiral or whatever so they take on the burden but at the same time they are trying to as a you know a dating person in this relationship ultimately become this person's therapist which is kind of one of the worst spots they could be in, in a role that they shouldn't be taking on. So where do they go if they feel like this might be them?
5: Yeah, so you know, whether that's emotional blackmail, mm-hmm. hey, if you break up with me, I'm gonna kill myself. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's just sort of just a very overt mm-hmm. sometimes it's subliminal and you get that sense that wow, this person might spiral, but sometimes that person actually blurts it out and says it, mm-hmm. Hey, look, you break up with me, I'm gonna kill myself or um you break up with me and you know that person's gonna relapse mm-hmm. and continue to either get back into their addiction or worse than their addiction. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we just call that an emotional vampire that they, they just sort of suck you for all your emotion, uh, you know, and all your sort of psychological sustenance and they sort of suck it out of you kind of thing. So trying to figure out, well, what are those boundaries? What are, you know, what is good self care? Mm-hmm. You know, how do I tend to myself in order to, um, you know, like the, you know, I just flew here, took a couple flights and uh, you know, they give you the talk, Hey, if the cabin pressure, you know, drops, <laughs> you know, this little mask is going to drop and you need to put it, your mask on first, and then the other person. So trying to make sure that we're putting on our own mask and we're Mm -hmm. taking care of ourselves in a healthy way, not an arrogant or selfish way, but a a good healthy way that allows us to help that other person the best. Now, sometimes helping the other person isn't as a boyfriend, girlfriend in a romantic relationship. Sometimes it's just as a friend. Mm -hmm. And so we need to sort of pull back and say, hey, look, I don't think that, um, you know, the dynamic here is working out and healthy for either one of us. Mm -hmm. You know, I need to become more healthy. You need to become more healthy for us to be in this really entwined, you know, enmeshed relationship. We need to back off a little bit. Now, what that looks like as far as friendship, we see each other once a week, we call each other, I mean, Mm -hmm. try to figure out what those parameters are. Hopefully the person that, you know, is the one with the struggle, whether that's you or the other person, is open to discussion about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Because if the person's really not willing to discuss, I don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. You keep on saying that, quit throwing that up in my face. Quit accusing me of that. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're really not able to have a, a, a an adult-to-adult reasonable discussion about it, um, you're really not going to get very far. Mm-hmm. So it has to be somebody that's willing to have an honest discussion, do some honest assessment. That doesn't mean they have to change immediately, but they're at least open to some dialogue about it, willing to take some feedback, peruse it. Um, Ideally, if a person is struggling to that extent, that they have a treatment team Mm -hmm. in -hmm. place. So they have a therapist, uh, whether at church they have a discipler, a shepherd, a mentor. Uh, There's a support group uh, either at church or, or another one that they can go to where they can get some feedback. And so a lot of people, I recommend to go to couples counseling. They go, well, we're not married. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's all right. You're a couple, mm-hmm. and so as a couple, it's important to go to couples counseling because obviously there's a struggle. You guys aren't functioning on you know on all cylinders here. There's some friction. There's some difficulties. You know, one of you or both of you has a more significant psychological issue. There's not an easy handbook mm-hmm. for that. So to have somebody who's an expert mm-hmm. to be able to come alongside to understand assess, to guide you, uh, to say, hey, look, this is the appropriate amount of enmeshment mm-hmm. or responsibility you have or care that you have. Obviously, if I'm married, I have much more uh, responsibility for my wife and her struggles. And mm-hmm. there's much more sacrifice I'm going to make to help her and to dive into those spaces with her. Mm-hmm. If it's somebody who um, I just met a month ago, mm-hmm. I don't really have as much Responsibility, and I'm not going to sacrifice as much for that situation. I certainly want to see them helped. I want mm-hmm. to see them become well, but I'm going to sort of pass that off, encourage them to find other people that God's going to put in their space, either family members, loved ones, or therapists, to speak more into that space. Yeah. So trying to figure out who are those sort of responsible People that are Mm -hmm. more expert in this kind of stuff, that have experience in this kind of stuff, to be able to have both parties go to and say, hey, look, we'd like to make this relationship work. We really care for each other. Mm -hmm. Some of the things we're doing aren't really healthy for us. We need an expert to give us some understanding, expertise, give us some guidance. What are things that we can do better to communicate better, manage conflict, do our own self care, do our own self management so that we can? Um, help each other in our healing journeys.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And it just makes me think of, you know, the idea of like what you're saying, like what I can be for them and what I can't be for them. And it's so, uh, again, such a good reminder that we need to have outside people looking at the relationship because we can go way too deep too soon. And then all of a sudden we feel like, the spouse who is now responsible for this person. And that's an inappropriate, you know, level of being invested in that relationship. Um, I think, too, I also like, uh, you, you said this, and I actually just want to to read this. I think this is such a great statement and an example, a picture of this. You say, um, when you break a leg, it's good to have a cast for a time, but if you leave the cast on too long, it's not healthy. Ask yourself, does my significant other need to do something on their own that they can do for themselves? And that really is that. They've got to be willing to reach out and get the help they need. And you talked about that team, the therapist and others, um, maybe even a pastor and and other folks that can kind of speak into that um, so that the burden is not on uh, on this person.
5: And I think whenever a person has a psychological or emotional struggle, when they have a physical ailment, it's mm-hmm. easy to see what their limitation is. Yeah. When there's a psychological or emotional struggle, it's hard to see well what their limitation is or what their potential is. So sometimes we jump in a little bit too far. And it's like that. How do you boil a frog? It's just one degree at a time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So just one degree at a time, we get sort of sucked in a little bit more and a little bit more. So having that person with an outside view so that we just don't get boiled uh, kind of thing is, is so important. And to be able to figure out, well, how do we then back off and allow them, whenever I'm putting more effort into a, into that person's life than they are, mm-hmm. that's a pretty significant sign that I'm, I'm too invested in this mm-hmm. and I'm becoming too dependent and they're relying too much on me. They need to be putting more energy into their life and their wellness than I'm putting into it. Now, there might be a day where I put more in than them, but if it's sort of an ongoing pattern or for a, a month, two months that you're putting in more effort mm-hmm. into their health and wellness than they are, that's not a good sign. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I just wanted to briefly circle back to what you said earlier about the, you know, is this person directing me closer to Christ or further from Christ? And that can, you know, maybe give us a few examples of what you might see or not see as evidences of that. I know, um, you know, one would be just straight up almost a, a physical mental kind of thing of like, if I'm up talking to this person constantly, and they're an emotional drain on me, or they're a relational drain on me or whatever, I might be sacrificing sleep. And all of a sudden, that's not good, because that's going to exponentially bleed into other parts of my life as well. What would be some other signs of that?
5: Well, for some, it might be uh, just that sexual boundary, mm-hmm. you know, that they're enticing me to cross oh, a sexual boundary and yeah. that, mm-hmm. right? So that's not helping me become more Christ-like mm-hmm. with that temptation um, that, you know, like sleep or other uh, stressors that now I'm starting to eat too much or now I'm, uh, you know, avoiding some responsibilities because I'm watching too much ESPN mm-hmm. or now I'm, since I'm not sleeping, I'm irritable and I'm mm-hmm. cranky and I'm becoming more sarcastic or more uh, caustic in my words to them or I'm... You know, uh, calling them names or become just verbally abusive or caustic yeah. in the process, uh, or I'm just starting to retract them. I'm, uh, I'm not reading my Bible. I'm not engaging mm-hmm. in worship. I'm not drawing closer to God. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of getting sucked into them, mm-hmm. uh, or I'm seeing myself they're as pulling uh, me
0: away from my church community.
5: They're but, pulling away from my community, or they, and I'm starting to become more of a god mm-hmm. in their life. Right, And they're sort of looking to me for wisdom, for guidance, for their sustenance, for their peace, for their joy. And they're not really looking to the true source of those things. So I'm not being Christ-like because I'm starting to be a God for them. Mm-hmm. They're not becoming more Christ-like because they're starting to look to me as a God as opposed to looking to God for um, you mm-hmm. know, their joy and peace and all those cool things that God provides. Yeah, for sure.
0: So give us kind of in our last few minutes, I'd love to talk about what it looks like to, you know, because again, I said at the front end of this segment that this is just a reality in our culture today, and especially in this generation, anxiety, depression, I mean, you know, there are people you know, I mean, you there are medications that are prescribed for some of this there are so for that person I mean it's it's easy for someone to hear this segment and say well you know what the one thing I'm going to do is just never date anyone who's ever struggled with depression or anxiety or whatever and it's like that's probably unrealistic but what can a marriage you know as someone's looking towards dating and marrying someone if they are are really feeling called to a relationship with someone who has whether it's a past or present you know battle with depression or just that's part of their story what's the hope for them in you know not just writing everyone off who <laughs> you know i mean how can how can this work how can this look healthy with god's help
5: yeah you know um all right. So I'm a uh, struggle with anxiety and depression and. Uh, oh,
0: and you're married. OK. And alcohol. So, OK. And, you know,
5: alcohol. I was in jail for six counts of aggravated assault. Wow. Right. Uh, my wife struggles with ADHD. Hmm. Um, I have a daughter who struggles with anxiety and other struggles with uh, ADHD. Hmm. Um, it's like you say, it's going to be a um, almost impossible to find, you know, somebody who is perfectly healthy Mm -hmm. psychologically. That was Jesus. Mm -hmm. Uh, He didn't get married and he was the perfect one. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if that says something or not, but, um, uh, you know, we all struggle. So I think that's sort of what makes us a little quirky, what makes us different, what makes us unique. Um, I think that a person's uh, journey you know bring some richness to it whenever we get married there's no guarantee that somebody is not going to struggle so you know being able to be queued up a little bit Mm -hmm. on well how do I handle these things you know what is my personality what is my style what is my resiliency when somebody you know I just can't surround myself with people that are just perfectly functioning that doesn't give me a whole lot of trust in myself to be resilient when Mm -hmm. adversity strikes Mm -hmm. right so you know we need to have some conflict we need to have some difficulties you know no pain no gain well there needs to be some pain for us to grow Uh, sometimes Sometimes it's relational pain in a situation, I think each person has to know um you know there's a certain specialness about my wife that just attracts me to her and uh you know I love her and I care for her and um you know there were other people that well, if they had the same quirks, the same issues as her i don't know if I would have been <laughs> as an in- you know as as interested in putting up with those, I think for me, the same thing if there were you know other people that had all the baggage and issues that I brought to the table you know for her, she would have you know run a long time ago, but for me, there was just something different in our chemistry and what we saw in each other and uh uh and what God sort of did with us together, and you know there's sort of a neat conquering when you get to conquer stuff together mm-hmm. and help each other through battle so um saying I I want somebody with nothing, that'll make me a better person. I'm not quite sure that's true either. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you sort of have to know yourself and know, well, what am I ready for? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if a person's struggling acutely at that time, that's not Seventh grade relationship school. Mm-hmm. That's like graduate relationship school. Now, if you're ready for graduate relationship school, there's a whole bunch of cool stuff mm-hmm. that could happen <laughs> for you individually, for you with God. Just like you know, uh, God calling Hosea with Gomer. There's just a lot of cool <laughs> stuff that He was going to do with him through that very difficult, you know, circumstance. Person with a very significant psychological issue and struggle. Uh, so there's great richness that can happen there. But you sort of have to know yourself and to have some people that can guide you mm-hmm. in that process. I think are key. So. If a person does have a struggle, it's important for them to have a treatment team and a treatment plan. Are they following that treatment plan? Who's who's overseeing that? Who's the expert? And go to that expert and say, hey— What's the next step we can take? Am Mm -hmm. I ready for that step in relationship, and relationship depth? If not, what do I need to do to be able to get to that step? I want that richness. You know, we have, you know, the TV show Atypicals was about, you know, autistic kids. And, you know, they have the yearning to date and want companionship. Well, how do they do that? How Mm How do you date somebody who has autism or date another two autistic people dating together? or two depressed people, or two people with PTSD, are they just going to constantly trigger each other mm-hmm. back and forth every millisecond? Mm-hmm. Um, so having somebody that can guide that, I think is such an important key element. You don't have to do it alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, God's going to bring other people, other people with depression in your church, with anxiety in your church, with sexual abuse in your church, mm-hmm. or bipolar or addiction like me, that can come alongside and say, hey, look, yeah, there's some pitfalls with that, but there's some great richness that mm-hmm. can come with that too, just like anything in life, to be able to have people guide you makes things a lot easier.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, and that's why it's so great to avail yourself of resources, both relationally and, and spiritually within your church, as well as, um, you know, Carl mentioned so often um, the value of a really great therapist who wants to work with you and help you move and take ownership of that so that you can bring uh, your whole self to the table when you go into that other relationship. And so... Um, Well, folks, uh, we want to make sure that you're aware of all the things that we've been talking about today. And so you can go to boundless.org, search for 767, and you'll get some more resource links there, including a link to the American Association of Christian Counselors, which is what Dr. Carl is part of now. And uh, so you will find that there and hopefully kind of um, get started on a healing journey, as he described in this regard. You can also go to focusonthefamily.com slash get help and we have a bunch of resources there including the opportunity to have a consultation with one of our licensed professional counselors here who can maybe set you on a course locally right where you are to start getting some continued care in that direction so dr carl benzio thank you so
5: much hey great being with you lisa and your listeners god bless
0: For this week's inbox, we have another one of your questions. And just a reminder that these are really your questions that come in from listeners to The Boundless Show. So if you have had a burning question for a while that you're like, I would love to have um one of the counselors address there or maybe have uh Lisa or one of the pastors weigh in on. We would certainly love to receive your questions. So make sure you send it uh to editor at boundless dot org. Well we have Counselor Tim Sanford here this week. Hey Tim.
4: Hey good to be back, Lisa.
0: <laughs> Always good to have you. And um yeah you you kind of uh I guess you both last week and this week have questions that have multiple parts to them. So <laughs> sorry about that. It's a complex, uh, complex series of them coming through right now. Well, I'm going to go ahead and read this listener's question and let you kind of um, give an answer. So our listener says, I recently got out of a six month relationship with a young man who I'd been friends with for nearly a year prior to that. I ended the relationship because a number of fears concerning marriage cropped up. When he began to mention ideas of introducing me to his family and possibly investing and starting businesses together. It's been about a month since we broke up and I've been greatly analyzing everything. I realize that marriage scares me and makes me feel like I'll lose my freedom and ultimately my sense of self. Despite that, I do love him and feel like we're a great match for each other. Also, we have engaged sexually a number of times in the past, so I fear that if we were to decide to date again, we'd fall into the same sin. We're both repentant, but for that reason, as well as that long dating period, I'd prefer to just leave things as they are. What are your thoughts on if we should date again or not?
4: Uh, you're putting the hard ones to me here, Lisa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, a lot of layers here. Yes.
4: Well, first of all, it's good that she understands that the anxieties and the worries are inside of her. Mm -hmm. Uh, It may be about her view of marriage, her perceptions of marriage, and those kind of things. So that's a great start for her. And whether she starts dating this guy again or not, what I'd encourage is take some time to meet with a Christian counselor or a godly person who's married, has some experience with that, to get at what these worries, what these anxieties, what these it may be some false beliefs even some, you know, I would say some stinking thinking. Mm. There's something here that has bubbled to the surface finally for her. So that's really great and it's important that she works on them. The reason for that is worries like this tend to grow and get bigger unless you address them and hit them head on. So for that reason I'd encourage you to do that. Now if she does decide to start dating this guy again what I would suggest is a clear conversation together that we're starting a brand new relationship from scratch. And part of this brand new relationship will not have any sexual activity in it at all. Let's get it out on the table, make it real clear, and make that a fresh start if she chooses to do that. Um, If she's going to start dating this guy again, I'd also have a real frank conversation about the worries, the concerns And that she is getting some help, you know, in those regards, too. Mm -hmm. Put that on the table so that you're both honest with it. Now, whether she chooses to leave things as they are or not, she still needs to deal with the anxieties that are inside of her. Mm -hmm. Because wherever you go, there you are. She's going to take this with her into the next relationship if she doesn't successfully deal with it.
0: Yeah. Good point. Yeah. And it seems interesting because I think she's assuming that it's just because of this guy that she has the worries and is afraid of marriage. But it sounds like that might, as you said, Tim, crop up in the future, Um, especially this thought, uh, you know, as she outlined it of losing her freedom and her sense of self. You know,
4: that's a perception. That's a belief inside of her. And that's she's going to take that to wherever she goes with the next guy or the guy after that. So, yeah, it's her and not him and she needs to deal with it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, good thoughts there. And thank you for weighing in on that. And of course, you know, um, I think Tim said this last week, too, to last week's listener, you know, definitely get some good counsel if uh, if that would be helpful for you, both from a professional counselor, if that's available to you, as well as getting a pastor and some good mentor friends to pray for you and uh, just lean into this with you so that you can walk forward in confidence in that. Well, folks, uh, that is it for this week's show. And again, as I said on the front end of this question, we love to hear from you. So you can write to us at editor at boundless.org and ask your question on a number of topics. It could be related to relationships. It could be just uh, with life stuff, uh, kind of some of the the difficulties that you're walking through. It could be anxiety, depression, addictions. Uh, It could be a spiritual question. We would love to put someone on that and help you get some good insight uh, from a a biblical perspective. So I will see you around next week. This is Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show.
5: The Boundless Show is a production of boundless.org. Focus on the family.